comes from Genesis, the 19th chapter, verses 15 through 25. On the Pew Bibles, that will be located on page 17. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hands, and the hands of his two daughters. The Lord, the Lord be, be, being merciful to him, and brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to him, Please know, my lords. Indeed. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and die, and I die. See, now the city is near enough to to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it a little one? And my soul shall survive. And he said to them, See, I have favored you concerning this this thing also, and that I will... I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was Zor. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the, from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew these cities, all the plains, and all its inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. As we had a wonderful Sunday last Sunday with our emphasis placed on missions, and that's just to help us know all the good that's being done, and and we want to place an emphasis on taking the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to the world every day of our life. And one of the things that the elders wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to do, and that is to hear a report from Nick Fowler and the work that's taking place in Brazil. And so we look forward to him doing that tonight. Uh, We are so thankful for Amy and Nick. Uh, They are a wonderful couple. They are a wonderful couple that is growing in a tremendous amount of knowledge as they are gaining rich experience uh, in their mission work in Brazil. And we look forward to seeing the good that's going to come uh, in, in the future of that work, and we're so thankful that we can be a part of their lives and support them and encourage them. And so we look forward to this time uh, this evening of hearing more from them. A self-taught bear enthusiast, about a decade ago, he referred to the brown bears in Alaska, that's a species of, of, the, of the grizzly bear, he referred to those as harmless when the pilot flew in to pick him up after spending a summer with the, black, with the brown bears, he'd done that from time to time. As a matter of fact, he'd been considered somewhat of an expert. He'd done that for 12 seasons, spending the entire summer with the brown bears. But on this particular occasion, when the pilot arrived at the scheduled time, he noticed that bodies were being mauled. And so he radioed, to the park rangers, and within minutes they were there, and they had to fire at an aggressive 
male brown bear 12 times before it finally fell to its death, but yet they were too late. Both of the individuals lost their lives. And even as they were gathering the bodies to transport them back, another brown bear came out being aggressive and they had to kill it also. As tragic as this is, Timothy Treadwell's behavior was no surprise to anyone that knew him and to other experts in this field. You see, he wrote the book, Among Grizzlies, Living Among the Brown Bears. And as he would talk about it, he would talk about his time of walking so closely with them that he could touch them. There was even videotape of of him crawling along the side of a sow and two cubs. And he would even sing to them. One time on David Letterman, he told David Letterman that those brown bears in Alaska, they're pretty much harmless party animals. That's all they are. And yet the experts, one particular expert that lived in that area, she said before his passing, she said this about him. At best, he is misguided, Deb Liggett says. At worst, he's dangerous. If Timothy models unsafe behavior, that ultimately puts bears and other visitors at risk. Her words were prophetic. His life was at risk. And eventually, two of those bears' life was at risk. Isn't it sad that in death, he learned what he should have learned in life? There was probably a time when he first approached the brown bear that he recognized how dangerous they were. What do you think changed? Do you think living among them for 12 years changed his awareness and perception of the danger? Isn't it interesting that at the time that he needed to escape, it was too late. You know, many of us are reading through, studying together the Scriptures through the plan this year. And the passage that we'll be reading through this week is relatively short. It comes out of Genesis the 18th and the 19th chapter. And we see God literally saying to Lot, Escape for your life! Exclamation mark. Two angels are pleading with Him. You've got to escape. Do you realize there were experts telling Timothy Treadwell, you've got to stop living like that. You're endangering your life. And if other people believe that what you're doing is safe, you're endangering their life. And ultimately, you're going to endanger the bear's life. Prophetically, they were correct. What did he need? There came a moment where he needed to do what he needed to do all along, but it was too late. He needed to pull back. He needed to escape. But at the moment he realized it, it was too late. Lot, it had been less than 400 years since the destruction of the entire population except for Noah's family. Do you remember why Adam and Eve had to leave their home in Eden? It was because of the destruction of sin. 
That's Genesis 3. Think about what God is trying to tell us. Beginning of the Bible. God, what are you trying to tell us? Destruction of sin, Genesis 3. Flip over just another page. Genesis 6. Man was evil. The intent of every thought of the heart of man was on evil continually. And for that reason, God says, I'm going to destroy mankind. You flip over just a few more pages and what do you see? You see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Adam and Eve lost their home. The human race lost their existence except for Noah and his family. And now two entire cities are wiped off the face of the earth. Why? Sin is destructive. And what was the warning? The warning was escape for your life. In recent times, there's no illustration that is so vivid as all of the thousands of people that escaped from the towers on 9-11. How many times have we seen those videos and we've seen the footage and we've seen the pictures and we've heard the testimonies and, and we've heard about how close a call it was for so many as they ran down stairwells and as they ran through darkness and as they felt the heat and as they felt the shaking of the buildings and they escaped, but not all of them. Sadly, not all of them. Now, can you imagine someone sitting in those buildings and saying, what's the big deal, guys? Just a little bit of shaking of the earth? Just a little bit of warming of the fire? Why why are all of you guys worried about running out of here? Now listen, no one here could understand that. No one here would say, oh, that makes sense. That's very logical. I'm glad you feel that way. Why is it that sometimes the things that are so deadly can actually become so comfortable? In other words, if Sodom and Gomorrah was truly such a wicked place that God sent angels in because God and Abraham both wanted to spare the life of Lot and God sent angels in to tell them, escape for your life, this begs the question, what in the world was Lot doing there? If that was such a horrible place to live, why was Lot living there? Will you turn with me to Genesis, except this time, instead of being there in the 19th chapter, let's go back to the 13th chapter and let's read just a few verses to see why Lot was there in the first place. In Genesis, the 13th chapter, and I'll remind you that Lot is the nephew of Abraham, member of the great father Abraham. He is the nephew of Abraham. His brother had passed away, and so now he's taking Lot and he's treating him like a son. They have done very well in life. Their sheep continue to multiply to the point that their herds are very large. And so the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham begin to argue and to have strife over who would get the better pastures. Abraham, being the godly man that he was, was so unselfish And so he tells Lot, you look to the left and you look to the right. And whichever side you choose, you allow your herdsmen and your sheep to go in that direction. And I'll go in the other direction. Keep in mind, we're asking the question, how did he end up in Sodom, that being his home? Isn't it interesting how what we would say is the smallest of sin but yet it begins to take us on the wrong journey. The first sin that we see Lot committing in this part of the story is selfishness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he said, you know what? My uncle has been so good to me 
and I just want to do the right thing. I want to look around and I want to see which area has the best grazing land and I want to choose the other because I want my uncle to really be taken care of. But instead, read with me if you will, beginning at 10 in Genesis the 13th chapter. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw all the plains of Jordan that it was well watered and everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord. Let that sink in. How good did this land look? It looked like the garden of the Lord. This is going to be the place I can have great wealth. My sheep are going to do better than anybody else's herds will do. Like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Now, another translation that makes that real clear, what he's saying is, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, let's get the rest in verse 13. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Way over here, is Sodom. It's known for its wickedness. Notice wickedness is always a sin against the Lord. He looks at what lies between him and Sodom and he sees something that looks very appealing. This is great pasture. Lot, don't you see what is in that same direction? Oh, I'm not going there. Can't you imagine that that's what he was probably saying? Are you kidding me? I would never live in Sodom. That place is a wicked place. They live against God. I would never have anything to do with Sodom. I'm just going to cast my tent. Temporary structure. I'm just going to cast my tent in that general direction and I'll be okay. Matter of fact, I'm going to be real good because I've got the best land in the area. Now, we don't have time to develop the story, but whenever you get to the 14th chapter, Sodom and Gomorrah is being overtaken by some kings of the Babylon area. And as they're being overtaken, Abraham goes to the rescue of his nephew that is like a son to him. Do you know by the time we get to the 14th chapter where we find him? Which, which area of the Jordan plain? Which tent do you think he's going to be living in? Let's just jump right to it. Look in verse 12 of, of Genesis 14. Look at 11 and 12. So they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. This is the 14th chapter. Look at verse 12. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Now, what is he doing there? That's not the kind of man that he was. That's not, that's not the way he would have lived against God and, and choosing to live among people that would live against God. What has happened? And when we go to the 19th chapter, we see a very strong movement. In the 19th chapter, the text is already capably read, picked up in the latter half of the chapter. But if we back up and read verse 1 and 2, when the angels were first coming into Sodom and Gomorrah just before God would destroy this place because it was an effort to rescue Lot and his family, I'd like for you to notice verse 1 and 2. And, and notice, notice 
and ask yourself, has he made this home? Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground and he said, here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. And he insisted strongly. You remember why he insisted strongly. He knew that these people were so sexually immoral that they were going to try to rape these men at night. And he was trying to offer them protection. But notice this, why or how was he offering protection? He was offering them a place in Sodom in his house. Isn't that an interesting movement? Lot, choose. Which way do you want to go in life? Oh, I, I'll just pitch my tent as far as Sodom. I'll just live out here. I, I won't go with those wicked people. Wait a minute. I'm going to have to rescue my nephew. I think he's now living in Sodom. The angels arrive and, and he says, I have a house here. Let me put you in my house. This is where my family lives. This is where our goods are kept. What's happened? Friends, it's rare to find any Christian that steps into the midst of sin overnight. Our nature and our temptation is to drift so slowly that we don't even realize that we are drifting into the midst of sin. Now listen, I'm not just giving you an intellectual fact that we can prove in the Scriptures this morning. I am pleading with each one of us to look at our life and ask ourselves, which area are we headed toward and which direction are we traveling right now? It may be that we feel like we're just slightly off the path, but friends, you don't ever stay just slightly off the path. You either turn it around and you come back with the Lord or you find yourself in places that previously you would say, I would never do that. I would never become that person. I would just almost guarantee you that there was a time where Lot would have said, I will never live among those people. But he found himself sitting in the gate. Notice that, sitting in the gate with the men of that city building his house and raising his family in the midst of those people. What's the lesson? Be turning, if you will, to Psalm 1. God makes the lesson very clear to us in Psalm 1. If I were to ask you what books in the Bible you love, many of you would say that one of my favorite books in the Bible is Psalm. Have you noticed how the book of Psalms begins? What a beautiful passage. We have that two ways to live in life. We can either be the blessed man that lives a godly life or we can be the man that, that is not blessed and lives an ungodly life. Well, what can we learn about the blessed man? He begins with that in verse 1. Blessed is the man... Now, notice this movement here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Do you see that movement? Is it clear to you? I don't know if this is a good application. But can I ask you something? Why would anyone that's a Christian ever walk down Bourbon Street? Yeah, there, there, there can't be that much wrong with just walking down the street, is it? 
Well, if you don't ever walk down that street, you won't ever find yourself standing and lingering among sinners. And if you don't ever walk down that street and you don't ever stand and linger among sinners, you won't ever find yourself sitting in the place of the scornful. Now, if you think that that's the only application to that, you've missed the huge teaching of how Satan works and how God wants to protect us. You name any sin and you can find the course where the first thing we do is we walk by it. And after we walk by it, the next thing we start doing is saying, you know, that wasn't that bad. Let me just stand around a little bit. Hey, do you want to see it? Oh, no, no. You say, that's when a Christian says, in their mind, that's when a Christian says, I wouldn't sit down. I'm not like you guys. I'm, I'm just here to kind of just look around. How many times? If any of us here are spiritual, we have seen this over and over in other people's lives and probably in our own life. But how many times have we seen someone on the wrong path and we've said to them, hey, you really do not need to be going there. And their answer is this. Oh, listen, I go there, but I don't do anything wrong. You ever heard that one? Oh, I, I go there, but I don't do anything wrong. You know what's going to happen next? See, they've started walking that way. We're going to start standing that way. And the very next step is, let me sit down with who? The scornful. Scornful is those that mock. You see, that's when we literally start defending wickedness. We go from the point of saying, I would never do that, to walking through, standing and sitting down and saying, listen, you can't tell me that's wrong. You can't judge me like that. And we start defending wickedness. Not that a man can say it better than God, but maybe just another way to say it. Alexander Pope said this in the essay of man. Vice is a monster of so frightful mean as to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet seen too oft familiar with her face. Now notice this movement. Notice this movement. We first endure, then pity, then embrace. I ask you again an important question. When the angels came and they yelled to Lot, escape for your life, what in the world was Lot doing there in the first place? There may be some escaping that you and I need to do today in our life. And until we boldly confront ourselves with the truth to say, why am I here in the first place? We won't ever do any turning away. And if you think the turning away is just real easy, let's quickly look at the reactions in Genesis, the 19th chapter, to see how easy it was for them to turn away. In Genesis, the 19th chapter, we have the angels questioning Lot in the 12th verse, which we don't have a slide for that, but if you have your Bible open, notice they said, have you anyone else here 
son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city. Take them out of this place. Now, I don't have time to develop this this morning, but you're going to be reading through this this week. Study carefully, and what you will see is that it's really hard to take in the Scriptures as they are written, which is the way we're supposed to study them. It's hard to take in the Scriptures and deduce that all the only ones in the family was simply Lot and his wife and two daughters. When you start looking, there are two daughters that are not married and there's two daughters that are married. And I would guess that if there's anyone that would know who comprised his family, the two angels of God would know who was in his family. And so what does the angels ask about? Are your sons here? What's the point? The point is Lot is about to lose a lot. He's going to have to be delivered from a city that he knows is going to be destroyed with fire and brimstone. And probably what he left behind was not only a wife that was a pillar of salt, he probably left at least two daughters that were married, two sons-in-law, and however many sons that it doesn't tell how many it was. What's the point? When we find ourselves... When we find ourselves in the midst of where we should not be, our influence has already hurt others. Please, please believe that. When we find ourselves in a place that we should not be, our influence has already hurt others. And so what's going to be the consequence of this decision? What's going to be the response when the plea from God is, escape for your life. Let's look at the first response. In verse 14, Light goes and tells his sons-in-laws that this place is going to be destroyed and we need to begin our escape route. And notice in 14, so Light went and he spoke to his sons-in-laws who were married, his daughters, and he said, get up and get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law... He seemed to be joking. Proverbs 14 and 9. Fools mock at sin. It's literally what it says. Fools mock at sin. (laughs) You're going to tell me that God doesn't want me to live this way? I don't believe you. Fools mock at sin. When you read Romans, the first chapter, there's a long list of sins that we need to avoid. And finally, all sin is spoken of. In Romans 1 and 32, he says, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Now notice this. It's not only those that practice sin deserve the judgment of death eternally. But notice this. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Did you get that? How many times have, have we heard individuals say, well, listen, I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do that particular sin, but I wouldn't condemn it either. If God condemns it, you better condemn it or you're going to receive the same judgment as if you committed it. That's not David, that's Bible. That's God. Why? Because God never counts mocking sin righteous. Do you realize that if I say, here's a sin... I wouldn't do it, but I'm not going to condemn it. What I'm saying is, I don't see anything wrong with this sin. In other words, I don't mind if you lose your soul. I don't see anything wrong with you losing your soul. That's not godliness. It's not righteousness to not care if we lose our soul or if somebody else loses their soul. 
we must see sin for what sin is. Sin is something so deadly that it makes brown bears look gentle. Sin is something so deadly that we ought to escape for our life. You remember what the next reaction was? It's really kind of hard to believe. When we go back to Genesis, the 19th chapter, notice in verse 16 how it begins. This is talking about Lot and about his wife and about the two daughters that were not married. Look, look in 16. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hands, his wife's hands, and the hands of the two daughters and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out of the, and set him outside the city. You have this in your mind? He's come the night before, during the night. And these two angels have said, listen, let me tell you what's going to happen and your only hope is to get out of here. In other words, God is not going to not send the fire just because you're here. If you want to live, you have to get away from the destruction. The next morning, what would you be doing? I'm not trying to be arrogant and I hope you're not trying to be arrogant, but wouldn't we both like to say, I tell you what I'd be doing, maybe a little bit before dawn, if not the first crack of dawn, I'm getting out of Sodom. I'm running and I'm getting my loved ones and I'm going as hard as I can go. But you know what's strange? Whenever we're living in the midst of sin, we get comfortable with those brown bears. And instead of saying they're sin, we like to name them other things. And we like to walk along with them and we like to sing with them and we like to pretend that everything's good. And somebody says you need to leave and you know what we say? Sometimes we say, I am one day. Just give me a little time. Isn't that interesting that it was time? And the Bible tells us that Lot and his family lingered. Lingered? Picture this. The Bible says the angels got each of the hands. You got two angels and you have four people. I don't know if it's exactly like this, but, but you can almost imagine one angel grabbing Lot's hand and one angel grabbing uh, his wife's hand. And you can imagine another angel ga- grabbing one of the daughters and another daughter. And you can imagine the angel saying, we have to get out of here. And you imagine them just kind of urging them, dragging them, getting them outside the city and saying, you have to escape to the mountains. And Lot pleading, just let me go to that city over there, Zor. Will will God spare that city? And the angel says, if you go there, God will spare that city. Why do we linger? The only reason we would linger is because we don't realize the danger we're in. Do you remember Matthew, the 25th chapter? There's, there's three tremendous stories that are told there. Remember one is about the ten women that were waiting on the bridegroom. And that whole chapter is taught to us by Jesus Christ himself to get us to be ready for the day of judgment. And you remember there were five women that brought enough oil that they could stay out and be ready the whole time. And there were five that were the foolish virgins and they did not have enough oil. And so they begged the other ladies, please let us borrow some of the oil. They, they couldn't do it. They didn't have enough to borrow. And so they went back to buy more oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came. Those that were ready, they went in. Those that had lingered back, it says in verse 10, when they come back, the door was shut. Listen. You don't know when the Lord's coming back again. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know the influence that's negative that you've already had if you're living a life of living in sin. 
And one of the great tools that Satan loves to bring upon us is that tool that says linger. You can take care of this later. You can take care of this when you're out of your teens. You can take care of this once you marry and settle down. You can take care of this when when you get to that next phase of life and you have kids. You can take care of this, brethren. Nobody in a righteous frame of mind would give one excuse for why they would not escape today. There's never a reason to laugh at sin. There's never a reason to linger in sin. But I'd like for you to remember that fact about Lot's wife in 26. Oh, if we had more time, and probably on Wednesday night in your Bible class, if you're in the class that's going through this study, you'll probably talk about it more. Why, Why in the world was she turned into a pillar of salt? We don't have time for that discussion this morning, but we do need to note this. The sons-in-law, they laughed at it. The four individuals lingered. And Lot's wife, she looked back. I've got to decide. Am I going to walk with God? Am I going to walk with the world? And I can't have it both ways. Think before you say, Lord, I'll follow you. There was a fellow one time that said, Lord, I'll follow you. And he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He turned to another one and said, follow me. And he said, now keep in mind, Jesus can know the heart of individuals. And so that's what makes this very powerful. He knew their hearts. And so this individual jumps in and says, I'll follow. And he says, but my father's died. Let me go back and and bury the dead. Jesus tells him, you let the dead bury the dead and go preach the kingdom of heaven. He turns to one more fellow and one more fellow says, I'll follow. And that fellow says, let me go back to my family and bid them farewell. And our Lord looks at that man and says, anyone who puts their hands to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus knew that their motives for going back was not sincere and genuine. There's two things I need to learn from that story. I need to learn that I can't have it both ways. I either give my all to the Lord and I turn away from sin, or I don't. I can't have it both ways. And the second thing I need to learn from that story is Jesus knows motives. He knows when we're playing games. Jesus knows this morning if you're here, it's just a game of religion. Jesus knows if it's just a game of of social relationships for you. Or Jesus knows if you're here this morning because you are giving your all to the Lord. We all find ourselves in the same boat. We're in a boat that is on fire and a boat that is sinking because we are all sinners unless we find the singular, the way of escape. I'd like to close by us reading a passage in Hebrews, the second chapter, and the invitation is ours. In Hebrews 2, notice in verse 1, 
Therefore, we must give the more earnest, that's being careful and and a lot of zeal, heed, that's taking the warnings to mind. We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we what? Drift away. Brethren, God teaches us over and over. We don't go from righteousness to sin overnight. It almost always is a drifting that far too often we don't even realize the course we're on. What happens when we do that? Look at verse 3. How shall we escape? Escape. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? You know what the answer to that is? We won't. There is no escape if we neglect the salvation of our Lord. Sodom and Gomorrah, it was going to be destroyed. Lot and his family had to decide were they going to tend to that way of escape give attention to it, submit to it, or were they going to neglect? The Lord's coming again. And all of those that have been saved by His grace because they respond in obedient faith to God, they're going to escape. That's the great escape. It's not by our own merit. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we're so good on our own. It's because we have turned our life to the One who is our Savior. This morning, I beg you, let's all be honest to the path we're on. And let's make sure that this morning we're not drifting, but we're moving toward our God every day in every way. We don't play games with Him. It's life and death. It's eternal. And thank God, Thank God He loves us. And this morning, He wants you to be saved. He gave His Son so that you could be spared. If you've never been immersed into Christ, this is a great morning to do that. Maybe you have begun that journey and somewhere along the way you've looked back. Everybody here, if they were honest, they would say, that's so easy to do. But everybody here still has the responsibility to escape. Don't linger. Don't be like Felix and wait for a convenient season. Today is the day of salvation. If we can help in any way, come as we stand as we sing.